an easier way to charge electric vehicles. That's our destination. I'm Fred Fishkin, and with us is Momentum Dynamics Advisor Roger Atkins. Thank you for joining us, Roger. My pleasure, Fred. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you're the founder of Electric Vehicles Outlook in the UK, and are working with Momentum Dynamics and other companies as well. Tell us more about your background and what this company is doing. Well, uh, 35 years in automotive, nearly 20 in electric vehicles, one way or the other, believe it or not. And about 10 years ago, I stumbled across Momentum Dynamics because at the time I was working for a blue chip engineering consultancy, Ricardo. And working there, I did a kind of sweep, a global sweep of wireless charging tech. And I looked at a whole host of companies, Qualcomm, Ytricity, Conductix, Wampler, some folks in the Korean Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. But then I came across Momentum Dynamics who were unique in offering up and going for the big challenge right from the gate, out of the gate, high power wireless charging. So having done that bit of research, it seemed to me that they were the standout folks. They weren't big cheeses. They weren't part of a big conglomerate somewhere. They were kind of a you know, fairly humble tech company in, in Malvern, Pennsylvania. And then I got to know Andy Darger, the founder, um, I didn't unfortunately get to know Bruce, the co-founder. And uh, from, from that period 10 years ago, yeah, I've championed their cause. I love what they're doing and I think it's significant and I think it's going to be a key part of the electric vehicle revolution. Well, we know what's going on with, with EVs. The entire automotive industry is shifting rapidly in that direction, perhaps given a little bit of a nudge by Tesla, but uh, give, us, <laughs> give us the, give us the, your perspective on why wireless charging is important when we think about EVs? Well, I, I think fundamentally it's because when we think about EVs, we think about batteries because the battery is the storage device. But if you think about it, Fred, you know, go to a first principle that I know, I know Elon Musk's uh, keen on. You know, how, does the, how does the electric motor work? It works by being fired up with electrons. So the battery is basically just a storage device for those electrons. And therefore, if you could actually put the electrons in a little and often and do without these whacking great big batteries, you are going to save a lot of resources, a lot of materials, and, and it's just going to be more efficient, less weight on board. You know, it's a paradigm shift in not having to carry the energy source to create the momentum in a vehicle by putting that in what, what I think momentum like to call, I think grazing rather than guzzling, you know, energy a little and often. And the immediate and, and very good fit is for um, closed loop vehicles, things that go in, in a certain duty cycle, you know, buses on a you know, bus route, um, airport buses, you know, ports, airports, the, all those sort of things, taxis, of course. Um, and, and in having all of that, you're fundamentally tackling one of the principal challenges, which you know we, we've had for a while, which is you know where where we go with um, where we go with this whole quest of building batteries. You know we're already Fred seeing a real challenge, and there is a supply constraint for finding enough raw materials to build the batteries. So the wireless charging proposition, I just think, is very elegant, um, not just in its simplicity of use but also it's, it's commercial prop, you know, proposition. It takes away the need for these, like I said, you know, great big batteries with all this stuff inside them. So to 
think of it in a different way. The, the 300, 400 mile range targets that all these companies are going for, that would not be necessary with the wireless charging? Well, it's a very, it's a great question. Um, and I think this is where you have to segment the market. If, and I'll do it quite easily, commercial vehicles versus passenger cars. So passenger cars, big challenge because someone might have a passenger car that they only ever drive around, you know, around the town in. They're never going to need three or 400 miles. But of course, some people do. However, with commercial vehicles, you typically have urban operating, defined mileage and back to base operation. And that kind of, you know, that kind of reality lends itself incredibly well, I think, in the first wave of mass adoption of wireless charging, because then no, you don't need three or 400 miles. You, you need maybe 100 or 200, whatever it might be. But whatever that is, you're putting the range rather than on board, you're putting it into the charging environment. Um, so it's, you know, it is that, I think you could, I think justifiably call it a paradigm shift. It, it is that switch from, from having the onboard range to taking it off board. But initially, that's a great fit for commercial vehicles. The passenger car, that's a bit harder of a challenge, I think. But over time, I think that will come. Very interesting. So what are the biggest challenges here? It would seem to me that the, and maybe I'm wrong, that the infrastructure could be more complicated if we're building things into a road surface. Tell me what your thoughts well, are. Yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're, these are all exactly the, the considerations people have. But if you look at the kit you have to put in the ground to have cable charging, that's a pretty disruptive process in and of itself. But once you put in the ground-based charger, because you need a charger in the ground and you need a receiver on the vehicle, once you have that, you know, you're good to go and you're good to go over a long period of time. There's not the same challenge in terms of, um, you know, uh, wear and tear on cables and, and, and on, on plugs and all, all of this stuff, which you know, which which over time inevitably gets either damaged or, or just you know needs re replacing. Um, so, so, yeah, of course, you're going to have to dig a hole and you're going to have to stick a charger in the ground. Absolutely right. But you only have to do it once. You're not having to keep going back every six months, nine months, a year or two years, carrying out maintenance work. That's the that's the good thing about it. It's pretty simple stuff, um, you know. And one of the frustrations is in showing it to people is there's nothing to see. Um, you know, you've got the you've got the receiver underneath the car. You've got the charger embedded in the ground. There's nothing to see other than that moment of revelation, Fred, which which I've had, you know, because because bear with me. I, I, I've been familiar with this tech for many, many years. But in honest truth, it's only quite recently that I experienced it for myself, charging a Jaguar I-Pace. And it, it was Yes, it was almost, a, it, perhaps this sounds over the top, but almost like a spiritual moment. I didn't have to get out. I didn't have to find a card. I didn't have to plug it in. I didn't have to wait for the handshake. I didn't have to wait for all of the things that you know and I know and anyone with an EV knows you have to do before you're even getting a charge. This was a charge into that Jaguar I-Pace within, I don't know what it was, 10, 15 seconds. Um, yeah, it, it's just so much more elegant. Are you saying that it's faster to charge this way? It is because, yeah, if you, you take that time of opening the door, all the bits in between, I won't go through it and then getting back in your car. You know, it's easy five minutes if you're lucky. 
But with wireless charging, it's instant, you know, 10, 15 seconds, it's instant. And then if let's say you're in a dark corner somewhere, because unfortunately too many chargers, certainly from those that I've seen, aren't always in the nicest place. If you don't have to get out of your car, either to start charging or to stop charging, this saves time. And actually for people who don't like getting out at night, you know, whether it's for whatever person you are, if you don't feel inclined to getting out of your car at, at night somewhere in the dark, that's the other beauty of it. You're, you're not having to, you know, get out of the vehicle at all, either to stop or start. But, but more importantly, I think right now, it's for those commercial vehicle operators to not stop what they're doing, that the charging works around their duty cycle. So the bus driver doesn't have to get out and whack a cable in somewhere. He's out and about just like the taxi driver and they just stop and charge. It's like plug and play, but you know, this is stop and charge. Let me ask you this, uh, having the receiver underneath the vehicle and uh, its charger on, on a road surface, doesn't that make it more susceptible to dirt, grime, wear, tear, weather, or stormy day? Well, well, again, great, great questions. These are the questions people inevitably quite rightly should ask. Um, uh, the answer is no. If you look at snow, look at ice, um, th there's some folks did a video of this, um, the Jaguar I-Pace charging in Norway, and put a great big thick block of ice on top of it to show that it would work through ice. It works through snow, through in Wenatchee, um, Washington State. They've had this on buses for a few years now, I think three, four years. And, you know, that's a place where it snows, you know, snow and ice on the ground. So wh whether it's all of those things, whether snowplow goes over it, it's, it's all put in such a fashion that it can sustain and work through all the usual rigors and challenges of, you know, real life, you know, the real world that we all live in. It has to work in that, otherwise it isn't a commercial proposition. And the good news is it does. Well, you mentioned a number of companies that, that are working on this. Is there a need for standardization? Oh, for instance, like Qi charging for phones, for instance. Yeah, you're 100% correct. So that's the next big thing to come, without a doubt. Um, and you, you, you need that protocol because uh, we can't go down the same road that we've gone down with, with cable charging, with different systems and different protocols and whatever. It's been a bit of an unholy mess. So, yeah, very good point. That's exactly what needs to happen next. For more information, where's the best place for people to go? To get, I to would just go this. to MomentumDynamics.com. You know, go and look at the website, look at the case studies. You know, if you feel inclined and you're in a commercial kind of capacity looking to do, the, you know, business, go and talk to some of the end users. You know, don't talk to Momentum. Talk to the people using their kit um, and they're going to tell you what they think. Terrific. Again, it's MomentumDynamics.com. Roger Atkins, thank you for taking the time with us. My pleasure. Thank you, Fred. Now this. It takes a lot of listening to build a better radio, and that's just what the folks at Sea Crane have done. Bob Crane and his crew, nestled among the rivers and tallest trees in the world in Fortuna, California, have made a habit of listening to their customers. And that's just what they've done in building the CC Skywave SSB, the Swiss Army knife of portable radios. For everyday listening to AM or FM in the yard or patio or on the nightstand without having to drain a mobile phone battery, 
It's a great companion. But it is also a companion equipped for NOAA weather information and alerts that can be life-saving. You can listen to FEMA and Coast Guard transmissions too. Beyond all of that, you can tune into shortwave signals from around the world. It's compact, easy to take with you, and built to last. The CC SkyWave SSB. Click on the link at textonation.com.